This is Market Scales Knowledge is Power with your host, Brandon Fluger. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of Knowledge is Power. We'll be exploring several topics that shed light on one particular leader's pivotal moment in his exciting career, major learning moments he's had, and how his leadership has shaped the way that Flintco is doing business and helping businesses thrive in an always online world. As always, you'll want to stick around for the end as we have a special sign-off before next week's episode. Joining me today is Tim Garbett, Director, Corporate Marketing and Communications at Flintco LLC, um, part of the Alberici Group. We're really excited to speak with Tim today, learning about his major learning moments, learning about his path, his career, choices that he's made along the way, and determining what happens here going forward um, with digital leading the way here in the marketing world, Tim. So I uh, wanted to, to really just unpack right off the top here. Uh, Tim, I've gotten a chance to know you over some time now, and uh, we've had a lot of fun conversations. I know you're a big foodie down in the Austin uh, food scene there, uh, but I want to I want to let our audience know just a little bit more about um, the working side of Tim Garbett as well and peel a few layers back and learn really what's shaped you into the strong leader that you are. Um, you've started uh, over uh, a number of different startup companies. Uh, you've grown in your career. You've taken different paths and each one has kind of led you to the next position. So I'd like to learn just a little bit more and peel back some layers with you. You know, what makes you or what has shaped you into the strong leader that you are today, Tim? Well, uh, hi, Brandon. Uh, glad to be with you. Thanks for the inv invitation to join your podcast. Um, well, in thinking about that question, um, you know, the first thing that popped into my mind um, was overcoming adversity. And when I said that to myself, I thought, well, wait a minute. How how difficult have I really had it? I mean, I haven't had it that bad, although at the at the moment, over the course of my career, when I was faced with challenges, of course, you think it's the worst thing that's going to happen to you losing a job or, or having a company, you know, sort of fail and having to look for a new job. So, um, but I'm going to stick with overcoming adversity because it, it does sort of, I don't know, I guess, describe some of the challenges that I've had personally and, and professionally. Um, and it's just, um, again, I, I feel a little bit awkward using that though, because there's a lot a lot of adversity out there in different forms, but um, so you know, to I guess to get into a little bit of that, um, you know, just really finding. I remember in, in college, I'll go back to that point where you know I went to the University of Wisconsin Madison and um, didn't know what I was going to do with my college career. And every every day, I would ask myself that question, and I and you know what what am I what am I doing here? What's my you know, my life going to be like, what's my job? And, and realized at one point that I like to read newspapers. I went, okay, well, maybe I should be a journalist. And that sort of set me off on my, on my career, that little simple thought of, you know, liking to read newspapers. And that led to thinking that maybe journalism was for me. And so I went ahead and did that. And for a couple of years and, and then moved into sales and then moved into the dot-com world and then um, moved into uh, publishing and then construction. And so it's sort of been a circuitous route to where I've gotten today. But along the way, through that career path, there had been some diverse, diversity, adversity that I had to uh, overcome, um, whether it was uh, 
a partner committing suicide and the business falling apart um, or uh, working for a string of dot-com startups where after six, eight months, maybe a year, if I was lucky, I would just learn what the company was all about and it would fold. And that was during the height of the dot-com era, say 98 through 2002 when the tech bust hit in Austin. Um, and then being out of work for 18 months and really feeling the the struggle at that point. And that will really test your your metal, test your relationships, and uh, really sort of have to dig deep to overcome that experience. Um, and then finding myself in a situation where um, I had to reinvent myself uh, multiple times throughout my career, meaning, you know, being able to to take different type of roles that I wasn't necessarily um, on paper, perhaps I, I was qualified, but not you know, necessarily had the experience. So that's sort of a long-winded answer uh, to that first question, but uh, I'll stick with that. <laughs> Certainly. Uh, you mentioned uh, working with several dot-com startups, um, you know, being able to get kind of just thrown into the role, whether uh, you fit on paper or not, and having to learn that role um, you certainly face a lot of adversity that way and, and growth as well. Um, you, you started out reading a newspaper and it got you interested and look, looking back at all those years and all those experiences, Tim, um, and to see where you are now, it's amazing. Um, but I'd like to take it back just a little bit more. Um, you've held leadership positions at some amazing companies. Um, you've been involved in a number of startup companies as well. Um, Speak generally about the large corporations and the startup contrast. Um, are there a couple of specifics on each one where maybe you had just, uh, you know, something that you centered around that was a major learning moment along the way, um, whether it's in the startup world or in the large corporation world, or maybe it was that that pivot uh, from some of those dot coms into a larger, more corporate role? Sure. Um, well, my, you know, my dad was a small business owner, so that's what I grew up around. He ran a couple of restaurants and, and then, you know, working for a small town newspaper, it was, you know, the, the publisher was in the building and it was a small organization. And then, um, moving into a small, um, you know, mom and pop publishing company that was actually very successful for many years. Again, small owner right there down the hall. Um, and then the startups, of course, it's, you know, the startups, that's the whole entrepreneurial, um, you know, addiction, if you will. It can be, it can be addicting, the startup experience and, and exhausting at the same time. Um, but again, it was always the owner was in the room, so to speak. You, I, you know, you could walk down the hall and talk to the guy who, who was leading the, leading the charge. And, and then moving into into the construction world, um, you know, my first experience was with a, a small to medium uh, construction company. And most construction companies are, I mean, this is a generalization, but a lot of them are family run. Um, you know, the, the guy, you know, the name of the company is, is named after the family that started it a lot of times. And then we, I, I experienced a, um, an acquisition where the company I was working for was acquired by a, uh, an international publicly held company. And I didn't think anything about it at the time. Um, I had the good fortune of being brought in 
into the you know the inner circle so to speak prior to the announcement it was a very hush hush scenario public company has to be very careful about what kind of news that they release and so i was able to be you know on the inside preparing the communications plan for the rollout of the acquisition and so i got to see some inner workings there but it's still not concerned in the least by a public company acquiring this small to medium-sized privately held company again where the president is accessible and you can talk with them in the hallway and it's, it's no big deal and when that acquisition happened uh and i saw the just the layers of bureaucracy that accompany uh, a public company and the the you know the the careful nature of everything that's done and everything is vetted and scrutinized and and there's really a, a very structured approach to everything it really became apparent to me how uh real that is and when i left and and came to flintco i reverted back to a privately held situation and the ceo again is walking by my office you know wishing me a good day and i realized at that moment where i really fit and it's not in the big you know monolithic you know public company scenario um more towards the the privately held uh, more nimble uh feel like you can really make an impact your voice is heard and you know my experience was always that you got to do a lot more interesting stuff in the smaller smaller company the private really the private privately held company where decisions are made in my experience a lot faster and um it's just more energizing to be a part of that yeah definitely um i can i can understand the the pivot where you're working with those startups um and you've got you're literally at the table every single time um doing many different roles like you mentioned um it wasn't just what you had on paper you were probably doing a lot of different roles to make things happen and um support the team's growth but as you go uh, through the acquisition get into a publicly uh, owned company uh, and revert back to a privately held company uh major learning moments along the way i'm i'm sure um, and I'm sure there were a lot of different functions within the marketing role that you were doing. I know you you also had some business development um, roles within that uh, within those organizations too. Um, tell us a little bit how some of those marketing um, trends or marketing responsibilities or even marketing tactics have changed over time. You, you've seen quite a lot in a, in a lot of different. Um, different environments uh, from the startups to the publicly traded back to the privates. Um, tell us a little bit more about how marketing has changed over time for you um, and, and what you've really learned about it going forward. You know, that's, that's a good question. I mean, I, you know, I never, I never set out to be a marketing professional. That was not what I was to set my sights on. So I didn't take classes in marketing. It was all sort of learn on the job kind of a deal. Um, but writing was always my calling card. And that's what has sort of sustained me throughout my career is being some being the guy who could take really serious detailed notes in a meeting and, and then push them back out to the group um, and be able to write clear, concise, uh, whether it's a letter or marketing copy, um, that's always been my calling card. And so I've always considered myself sort of old school 
uh, when it comes to to just life in general. I mean, one of the one of the sayings that I latched on to early on was, you know, and I, I feel like I'm an analog guy trapped in a digital <laughs> world. Uh, that got me in trouble one time with a uh, with a company, a startup company. But uh, uh, so, you know, as far as trends are concerned, I mean, you know, I really saw a lot happen with market scale. Frankly, I mean, market scale. Our relationship with market scale really introduced us to a lot of to new ways to uh, to look at marketing. Whether it was, you know, podcasts, although even podcasts at the time that we started doing them were already well established. The industry, the construction industry, hadn't really latched on to them, at least from my perspective. And I even met some resistance when I said, hey, we ought to start doing some podcasts. And, and the question was, well, who's going to listen to them? And, and what we discovered, what I discovered really, was that even though maybe the audience isn't as huge as that you would, you would hope for, the experience of producing a podcast for a client or a, a partner um, had some real value. And, and then using that discussion and transcribing it um, you, you instantaneously have some marketing copy that you can use in other ways. And so, you know, repurposing the podcast and our proposals in terms of capturing messaging, I thought that was pretty innovative. Um, of course, you know, the asynchronous messaging, um, again, we were introduced to that by you guys and, and, uh, that's been really cool. Uh, and, and those are sort of maybe in the grand scheme of things, maybe not that big of a deal for folks that are really dialed into all the digital, you know, landscape. But for me, coming from a, you know, the analog perspective, if you will, um, and really, a, I was a print, I've always been a print guy, you know, print journalist was my thing. I always thought that, you know, the, the electronic, you know, the broadcasters were sort of like the talking heads and weren't really serious journalists. And so the print was always my deal. And, and so I've carried that through. And I think that it's, you know, there's some advantages to that. I'm grateful for having that perspective. Um, although it, it does make, you know, the speed working within the speed of the digital landscape, a little challenging at times. Um, and maybe not as quick on the uptick, you know, that, that phrase that came out here recently, the okay boomer, you know, I sort of identified with that, uh, and, and feel like it's probably appropriate in many ways, but as far as the advancements and the innovations, I mean, I, there's been a tremendous amount of them, obviously, but at the end of the day, I think it's about being able to communicate effectively, communicate concisely, uh, you know, you know, don't bury the lead, to use an old journalism expression, you know, get your point out right away and grab them and then, you know, work the messaging. And I, and, and those kind of simple, basic approaches, especially in, in the, in the business communication that I've seen, and especially in, in construction where, you know, being able to write is not high on the list for most qualifications that you need to be in construction. You know, you need an engineering mind, you need a can-do sort of hands-on approach to fixing stuff. You know, there's challenges that, that you need to, you know, use tools to address. And so um, I've, that's been an advantage for me because I've, I've come into this industry really not knowing anything about construction. 
I mean, you, you don't want me on a job site uh, with tools around, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be of help, but what it does, what my, you know, my, in my lack of experience and knowledge in construction combined with my sort of inherent curiosity and training as a journalist really was a nice combination for me personally, um, because it, it, it allowed me to ask the quote unquote dumb questions because I never have, I, I've never felt that was a barrier. I, I always, you know, think any question is, is valuable. Um, and if I've got it, there's somebody else that's got that same question as well. So that's what I would say is like finding um, your innate skill that you have, whatever it is. In my case, it was, it was communication, it was writing and using that as a, as a vehicle to, to go into any situation and be able to make an impact and make a contribution. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Um, keeping it simple. It's one of the hardest things to do in the English language, isn't it? Uh, speaking simply, writing simply and clearly. Um, you can communicate effectively and precisely. Um, it says more than the words on the paper say. But um, yeah, it, it's it's amazing to see the growth in marketing generally. Uh, it's amazing to see the transformations that have happened even just over the past year. It's been amazing to see how people um, have been really thrown into or forced their hands into the digital world. Um, if people weren't already there before, I know Flintco uh, was well prepared for for something like this over the past year and can leverage those digital channels that it has to continue um, honing in on its people, its culture, uh, its projects, um, the impacts that it's having and uh, the value that it can bring. But um, you know, as you, as you have navigated some of these times, um, you've gone through, you've mentioned uh, some of the different adversities uh, that you've experienced. Tell me about a time you had to make either a tough or a difficult decision. Um, and maybe you relied on a relationship you had with a colleague or a superior or even a mentee that you had. Um, tell me about a time that you had to make that tough, uh, difficult decision or call um, and how that relationship really helped form that decision making. Is there a specific memory you have of uh, uh, that relationship that really sticks out to you, Tim? Well, it, it, there's, there's, a, there's a specific situation where uh, a mentor helped me and gave me a gift. Um, but it, but as far as the difficult decisions that I've made, I, I up until that point, I I never really had a mentor. I never really considered anyone in my world a, a mentor. Although I, I like the idea that I I've always just operated by instinct and feel, and and sort of um, just a, and fear maybe you know to try to keep going um, and uh, and have made decisions that have not always been. Well, most of them haven't been well thought out, frankly. <laughs> um, I never had a grand plan, like I said, to be to be sitting where I'm sitting today, and just sort of have always, you know, for lack of a better word, improvised. Um, and I've gotten lucky, and um, I'm grateful for that. But uh, so the decision making is really, you know, there's been some challenging decisions, but it was almost like, uh, again, you know, re feeling like I needed to reinvent myself when it was going from being a journalist to being a, uh, a, 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 an equipment salesman, uh, basically selling communications equipment to publishing a 
print magazine to you know getting into these various dot com uh, startups. Those were those were reinventions, and 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 I always liked the word nimble, you know. And I found that companies like to use that word, and oftentimes it's not the case. It sounds good, and it's got a nice uh, connotation to it. But I felt like I was being nimble over the years and making sort of navigating these career paths and career career choices. But the the experience that I think is worth mentioning here of of a relationship with a mentor um, that I recall was back when I got into the construction. It was my second it was my second job in construction. I had worked for a developer prior to that, which is a whole different uh, mindset and a whole different animal uh, versus straight up constru- a straight up construction company, general contractor. Um, and I always felt um, sort of uh, uneasy about my my job, frankly, about whether or not they valued it. I, I would, you know, after having, you know, had the experience of the dot-com, after having had the experience of you know, losing a, a, a company that I was part owner in uh, when, in a tragic situation, um, having been unemployed for 18 months, sort of skittish about where I was at. I, at the time I had, had a newborn and, you know, and it was a lot coming at me. Um, and, and so, and then, you know, general uh, contractors, I mean, general contractors, sort of old school, like I had said, I mean, you know, the, the industry has been around for 2000 years, you know, building stuff. And although a lot of technology has obviously changed how we build, we're still at the end of the day, you know, coming up with an, a vision and man and materials coming together to produce something. And the expectations are always sky high about what the end result's gonna be. Um, and so, you know, for a marketing guy in construction, at least my experience was I never really understood the value that I was bringing to the equation. I felt like it was an afterthought. And I couldn't imagine, I was always on pins and needles about whether or not people appreciated what I was doing, found value in what I was doing, because, you know, a lot of, a lot of the stuff that I was doing could be considered subjective when it comes to proposals is what I'm thinking of now, like Mm -hmm. the, you know, solicitations that we get from institutional clients or private clients where they issue a request for proposal or request for qualification. And, and, uh, you know, the old, you know, you hear this a lot. Well, nobody reads that stuff anyway. You know, I'm like, well, wait a minute. Uh, why am I here getting up in the morning early and writing all this stuff if no one's reading it? So it was a little bit off-putting, a little bit disconcerting to sort of be exposed to that attitude a little bit about, you know, the, what I was tasked with doing. It felt it was sort of like um, minimized or something. And so I was had a growing insecurity about my, my job. And, and I, and again, that insecurity, I think everybody's got is insecure at some level in their life, no, no matter how successful they are, everyone's got something that gnaws at them. Um, Maybe it's overt, maybe it's not, maybe they recognize it, maybe they don't. Um, But all the experiences that led me to finding myself in a situation where I was working in an industry that I really knew nothing about and doing something that was sort of low on what I perceived to be the importance. It was, you know, yeah, we had to respond to these RFPs, but nobody reads them. So 
just put something together and it'll be fine and we'll, we'll get there. And, and a lot of times that's the case. Um, so I was insecure and I had the growing insecurity. And, and when you're insecure and it's a real problem, and not just the kind that I described, but the real sort of active insecurity, which I think is what I was experiencing. And that was combined too with, with the Great Recession. This is the time in like 2009, I think it was, or eight, 2009, 2008, when you know the subprime mortgage thing hit and Lehman Brothers and you know all the you know the stock market went crazy and and uh, and so combine all that insecure about where I was at. And I remember a day specifically that the owner of the company, the guy who hired me, his name was on the, on the company. Um, I was on my way out the door for a vacation. My family and I were driving to go skiing. I was really excited. Um, but a little bit nervous too, because I was leaving, you know, taking a vacation. Are they going to, am I going to be leaving something undone and so forth? And, and, this gentleman uh, stopped me and said, hey, Tim, you, know, you need to realize the impact that you're having here with this company and what you're and what you're doing in service to, you know, our bottom line. And, and it, it appears to me that you don't really recognize that or appreciate that. And as a result, you're sort of freezing up. And you're not really doing everything you can be doing because you're always looking over your shoulder so give yourself a break and know that you're, you're a valued member of this company and you've got a lot to offer now go enjoy your vacation i mean i can't tell you the feeling that <laughs> i had when we were on the road from austin heading to colorado i mean it's a road trip anyway and i'm going skiing so i was Certainly. naturally excited. <laughs> but i was just i felt so free uh driving with my family and having that, you know, voice in my head telling me that I was, you know, valuable and important. And it just, it was a gift. And I, I've always remembered that. And it, and it really did feel like a gift and, and it's, it's true. And I think it's worth other folks, you know, listening to, to think, to recognize that as well. Don't, don't, you know, don't freeze up. You know, don't, don't be, you know, and, and it, and I, and I've really adopted that. And I'm and now in my, I'm at a point in my career, where I, I still have every now and then, but I go, wait a second that, that I've, I've, I'm doing what I do. I, and I always operate in good faith. That's all. That's another one of my personal tenants. And, and I use that if I'm dealing with a, maybe a, an awkward situation, or I've got to, you know, address a, a question that might be. A, a bit difficult and there might be ramifications unforeseen you know consequences but i always say am i operating in good faith am i trying to do the right thing am i trying to you know protect the company's interests and if those answers are yes then i plow ahead yep. i don't and i don't care about the consequences because i know I'm operating in good faith. It sounds like you've had, um, you know, some really good learning moments throughout that. And one of the biggest ones that were most impactful on how you are now and how you go about doing your things now is um, really go enjoy your vacation. <laughs> Tim, you're doing well. You have a you have a big impact on our company. Go enjoy your vacation. Um, and, and you got some time to get away. Uh, know that you were doing well, that you were... Uh, highly valued at the company, 
um, that you were doing the right thing, not only just doing the right work, but good work, but also doing something that you loved um, and having an impact with it. Um, it sounds like that conversation really opened your wings a little bit, if you will, um, to continue pushing forward and plowing forward, like you mentioned. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, you know, just to carry that forward another minute. I mean, it, it wrecked it, and it, it made me realize how easy it is to have a positive impact on those around you with a simple, Hey, nice job on that. Or, Hey, way to go. The old attaboy, you know, Certainly. most people say, Oh, I don't need an attaboy. I don't need a pat on the back. That's not what drives me. And I go, well, wait a second. It sure feels good. When someone recognizes <laughs> yeah. you and acknowledges what you've done, and it can be as simple as just that. Hey, nice job, Brandon. Way to go. You know? Yeah. You really exactly. did a nice job on that podcast with Garbin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and it's kind of, it kind of comes back to that um, relationship you have with your colleagues, with your employees, uh, with your team, as you lead the team forward, you're knowing how your team operates individually, what makes them tick. Um, you know, your, your colleague there at the previous uh, role said, go enjoy your vacation, Tim. You're beating yourself up. You're doing an amazing, outstanding job. Um, and you're having a huge impact on the company. Things like that can go a long, long way. Um, and it's an easy thing to do. When you look at some of the roles you've had, um, you're a leader, you're in a leadership position, um, at a great, great company and in a really exciting space. Y'all are doing some amazing projects, by the way. Um, if people want to check out what what Tim's involved in, go to flintco.com um, or, or go on their social page. The, the stories they have are amazing. But um, as you're leading these uh, colleagues, Tim, um, how are you helping them do the same thing that that gentleman helped you do, really free yourself? How are you helping them understand their capabilities or how are you helping shape them, um, coach them along the way to make sure A, they're comfortable, B, they're a little uncomfortable because you're pushing them um, and growing going forward. So uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that because gosh, your, your background's amazing. Your leadership is um, unquestioned. So uh, let's hear a little bit more about that uh, with regard to maybe colleagues, current, past. Um, let's open it up a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, it, you know, in my career, I really hadn't, until I got to Flintco, I really didn't, I mean, I had no one reporting to me. I had nobody that was, you know, my responsibility. I was just a guy on a team doing something, right? I mean, there was nobody reporting to me. And then when I got to Flintco, I got uh, to experience that management. And and I, I got a crash course in that and have a tremendous appreciation for management and what that means. And um, I never really knew what that meant. And, and it's, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself um, very skilled at that definition of management. And it, and I'm thinking of people and, and I can manage processes pretty good, but managing people, that's a whole different deal. And, and so I have a real respect for a good manager. And so I, I'm sort of hesitating to really, and I'm not even sure what I've done now in my three or four years here, not at, well, I'll be five years actually at Flintco and since um, I joined the company, but um, I, I guess it would be um, just being open to creativity and, 
and try and the ability to express ideas and have some vision for how things might look different than where they're at right now and um and opening up you know the minds maybe of the folks that i work with about what's possible and looking for ways to do things a little bit differently um and i'm thinking of as simple as a a cover of a proposal for example um you know, bringing it back to my industry and, and sort of the bread and butter of what a marketing person does in a construction company is answer proposals. Right. You know, to me, those, that's like my analogy. I had one time, one time I was, uh, uh, print, I printed up maybe a dozen, we had to submit like a dozen, uh, book printed books. This was still before, you know, PDFs. And I mean, there was PDFs, but they were like the owners were, <laughs> yeah. were asking for printed copies. Right. And I oh, was yeah. in the copy room and I had 12 of these books all laid out and I was, you know, putting the divider sheets, the, the sheets in the books and they were all organized. And it was just, it's a process to get one of those, you know, 12 of them pulled together and then put the little bi spiral binder on it. And uh, this guy, this operations guy <laughs> walks by me and he goes, Oh, well, so you're making some copies, huh? I went, <laughs> hey, buddy, the this right here, these are loaves of bread, okay? Imagine these each one of these proposals that you're looking at here as, as a loaf of bread. And this bread is going to feed, help feed this company because we submit this loaf of bread to the owner and he likes that loaf of bread. He's going to win us that, he's going to award us that job and you're going to eat. So yeah, I'm making copies, but I'm also <laughs> baking bread. Okay. Uh, Cause he was sort of giving me grief, you know, like, Oh, you're just making cop. What are you doing? You're sort of screwing around making copies. Like, no, I'm baking bread. So amazing. Um, so, you know, just having that attitude, I think, and, and having, again, coming at it from, Hey, anything's possible. So, so the, the covers is what I was talking about. Right. What I, what I, really latched on to early on was having fun with the cover of a proposal. I was seeing what was being done and it was all looked the same. And, and the, the first time I really dove into it, well, I dove into it previous in a previous job when I published a magazine, you know, the cover was obviously sort of the centerpiece. And so we'd have fun with the covers. So I brought that experience to this role of you know, being a marketing guy for a construction company, churning out RFPs and RFQs that all look the same. And one time I, um, it was a, it was a job for the state of Texas. And, um, I, at the time I, I sort of dabbled with like, uh, you know, drawing, right. I mean, when I, when I'd be on airplanes, when, when my wife and I went to Europe in, in 95, I, I, uh, I had a little sketchbook with me and I, I would, I was copying pictures from the magazines, you know, as we were traveling transatlantic. And then when we got to, you know, Spain, I went out and bought my little pencils and my little, you know, more stuff. And I was the artist guy, you know, going around Europe. Um, but I, I drew a picture of, it was like a, uh, it was buildings. It was the Capitol. It was like I was, I was trying to like uh, draw the picture or the uh, building of the uh, UT Tower, and then it was the Capitol. And then I put 
cactus in there and a cowboy boot and a cowboy hat. And I tried to make it real Texasy, Texan looking because oh, right? yeah. it was for the state. And not that that cover, you know, won us the job. But I remember having to say to my boss, I said, look, I'm going to I'm going to draw the cover for this next one, but I'm going to do it on my own time. OK, I'm like, so don't think I'm just in the, my office like doodling here. OK, because <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to do it at my, on my own time. He's, he's looking at me like, what? <laughs> Go away. Whatever. What are you talking about? Just whatever. You just know, do and, it. And, yeah. Yeah. Just do it. And, you know, we won. We won. We won that job it was a 20 million dollar job and it sort of lit the fuse for, for that client. And what, what that led to was a series of custom covers where I would engage full-blown artists to imagine a cover that was really unique. And, um, at one point after we submitted multiple submissions to this client, I heard directly from the owner, one of the project managers, she came up to me and went, man, I really looked forward to looking at your proposal. Really, mostly it's the cover. <laughs> and I went right on, you know. <laughs> and so that, I think, is that attitude and, 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 the, and the willingness to, you know, have a, you know, to, the willingness to just express a thought that pops into your mind that might, might be goofy. It might be silly, might not be a good idea but it's an idea and have the, 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 you know, the courage really, because a lot of times you can get, you know, you can sound like an idiot, you know, <laughs> have the courage to express yourself and, and let's, let's work it out here. So I think that's, that's what I think I've done to a degree mm -hmm. is brought that sense of, Hey, let's think outside the box to use the cliche, you know, Certainly. thinking outside the box. I, I, I think that's, something that I've done um, that maybe has helped my colleagues find that same sort of sensibility as well, perhaps. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah. Hey, think outside the box. And in this case, judge a proposal by its cover. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, you can't do that with everyone. But I've had, I, I, I can tell you, I've, I've got several examples where I know that our proposals looked radically different from the others that were submitted. And I just, I, I choose to believe that, that it had an impact on our success. So. Yeah, amazing. Um, gosh, I can imagine um, you mentioned the, the folks on the other end that were receiving those proposals uh, told you directly uh, that they were looking forward to seeing the proposal you put together. Um, can imagine showcasing some of the, the artists behind it, whether it was you drawing it, putting it together, or whether it was, you know, uh, and, and a, another artist, um, drawing that, putting it together and, um, getting it printed and, and put into the proposal. That would be a great kind of artistic series that would also differentiate yourselves a little bit going forward, uh, as not just your, your normal GC, right? Not just another GC. Um, right. And so, on these big ones, I mean, I would tell I would tell my boss, I would say, look, let we got to get the proposal. We got to get the cover done first. And it, it would like, it would give me energy on the big ones, you know, where it was all hands on deck, you know, corporate pursuit. What's our cover going to do? Let's spend a little money on the cover. Let's get the artist involved. And, and then it's like a, it's like a battle flag, 
you know, you get that done and then it just, it would give me energy to crunch through what are typically sort of mind numbing, you know, ants question and answers, you know, that's sort of dry, but it was a way to sort of enliven it. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, that really differentiates you guys. And um, it's part of what makes Flintco so great and so unique and so special and the, the places that it goes and does business. It's more than just uh, GC. It's uh, bringing people into the fold and um, bringing real community around that project as well. So uh, I, I love that personally about about you guys. And Tim, I'm glad that you bring that to the table for them. Um, it's really special. It's really impactful. Now, as we look going forward, um, here we are in Q1, almost uh, Q2 of 2021, believe it or not. Time's about to spring forward. Um, what are some things you're looking forward to most as the year goes on? What trends do you anticipate the industry embracing as it moves forward? Is it you know more digital transformation? Is it the uh, implementation of more digital events, podcasting, like you mentioned, differentiation, things like that. Tell me a little bit about what you foresee uh, happening here in the construction space going forward and specifically of uh, of the marketing side of things. Well, there's two parts to that question. I mean, there's a, you know, what I'm seeing in the industry and what I'm looking forward to, right? So what I see, what I see in moving forward in the industry is a um, sort of a rely a continued reliance even post COVID. Let's assume that we get through the COVID, which I believe we will. That it's got a, a long runway still, but the, the one of the major impacts of of the virus has been on on interviews. You know, it, it being it, you know, the, the process for winning work in construction, at least in my experience, has been. You know, you you respond to an RFP and hopefully you do something creative that gets their attention and you get invited onto the porch. You get you're qualified. You get you get qualified to get invited onto the porch. And then the interview is, you know, do you do you want does the owner want to invite you into the house for dinner and spend time with you? Right. So you're on the porch and that's the interview. You get qualified. You're on the porch. Now the the, the trick is to get invited in the, into the house. And so the interview is a big deal in, in construction and you can, you can lose everything in the interview. By the time you get to the interview stage, it, it's almost like overtime and everything's equal because whoever, who's, whoever they've invited to the interview is qualified to do the work. That's the, that's the premise. And the challenges is to convince them now that you're the you're the type of individuals that they want to work with. And so um, pre-COVID, that was an in-person scenario. We, you know, you you would show up, you would have you know your PowerPoint, you would have your projector, you would have the printed copies of the of the presentation. Everyone would assemble, and away you go. Um, when COVID hit, obviously um, that all changed. Virtual became the, the norm. All of a sudden, everybody's talking about Zoom and GoToMeeting and you know whatever else it was. Um, and so our bet is that even post-COVID, at a minimum, 20% of interviews, probably more, frankly, will remain virtual. 
because there's some real upside, especially for the owner's perspective on a virtual meeting. They don't have to travel. They just show up at their desk. They can have the sort of the natural separation that I think owners in general like anyway. Um, it, it's just, it takes less time. It's more efficient. Now, if you're on the other side of that equation, from our perspective, we feel like an in-person interview is a better deal because you can make that connection. You can shake a hand. You can look somebody into the eye. You can have a little offline conversation perhaps after the, you know, after the interview. There's all those little nuances that go away when it's strictly a Zoom call. And, and the technology, and, and then people don't like presenting anyway. And, you know, it, it, there's presenting in person, presents its own challenges, presenting on, you know, in front of your computer presents its own challenges as well. So it hasn't really solved any of those, any of those, you know, obstacles that are inherent in, in interviews. It's just, they're just different. Um, but bottom line is interviews have not gone away and they won't go away. And that will always be a function of the selection process. And so getting better at virtual interviews, understanding the nuances of the different platforms, um, paying attention to posture and backgrounds and lighting and all the things that most folks take for granted. And, and again, the, the interview process is an onerous task for, for anybody really, but the, the guys in construction, I mean, that's not what they do. You know, they're not, they're not salesmen, they're not uh, showmen, you know, they're really hardworking, smart guys that like to build stuff. And usually they're humble and, you know, to get them to elaborate on a challenge or something unique or innovative is difficult. And so it's always gonna be a challenge, but I think getting better at the virtual side of the equation, um, is going to be something that is going to be worth paying attention to moving forward and our bet is that it's going to be like i said part of the equation so we're doing things internally to to address that and i think we're making really good strides now what's important to me or what i'm looking forward to personally in the context of of my of my work is is um, continuing to introduce music into the equation. I've had the good fortune in my career to have music be a part of, seems like all the, all the jobs that I've had almost, with the exception of the equipment salesman guy that I was you know, <laughs> after being a journalist. I didn't really get the chance to talk about music or do music when I was selling dictation equipment in small town, Wisconsin. Um, but, um, but beyond that, I, I've had, when I was publishing the magazine, we were doing um, we were doing uh, fundraisers on Town Lake in Austin uh, on the uh, the paddle wheel boat that's here, and we would hire a band, of course, and have a big party. I was part of the Austin Music Commission um, early on in the in the formation of that commission back in like I think it was ninety two ninety three. Wow. Um, we I was involved in the we started something called the uh, loner. You know, instrument loaner, musical instrument loaner program. And it's now something else. It's named something else, but we started that. And it was, it was, we were collecting 
you know, uh, instruments that had left that gotten abandoned in somebody's attic or basement and then just forgotten about. And we started an initiative to collect musical instruments to donate them to, you know, schools and so forth. It was very gratifying. And um, and then when in 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 the construction companies that I worked for, we started doing uh, a, it wasn't any big deal, but people were like, wow, this is cool. And I was like, well, it's just a happy hour of live music. You know, we'd call it the live music series. And we were, we would hold these really sort of fun and wild, no wild quote unquote. I mean, they weren't crazy, but they, they were a little bit crazy for the, for the industry maybe. Uh, but again, live music. And, and now at Flinko, um, it's just been amazing that, so we've got something called Stretch and Flex. It's part of um, our safety initiative called Flinko for Life, Live Instant Free Every Day, is that's the acronym for life. Um, and Stretch and Flex is just as the name implies, you know, a, a moment every morning where we gather in the office, the guys gather uh, on, on the job sites with the trade partners and so forth, and they do five minutes of stretching. And it's a safety thing. Um, but when we started it, I remember writing the, we call them an INR, the internal news release. And, and I remember writing, hey, when you do this, have a soundtrack, you know, get a, have music playing. It just gets people amped up. So I'm the sort of the de facto stretch and flex DJ uh, for, <laughs> for our office. And, and I know it sounds silly, but like, over the last like three years now, I, I've got probably 500 songs that I've dropped into my stretch and flex playlist, you know, um, and, and <laughs> I think about it on the way into the office. And I, man, if I'm late, I get, you know, people know when I'm not there because, you know, I'm the guy with the with the sound box. And then we've, you know, we've we've, we've produced we're producing a docuseries on one of our jobs uh, at 44 East Avenue. It's called Beyond the Fence, the story of 44 East Ave. And it was pitched as a as a multi-part documentary. We're working currently on our third episode. And the first two episodes, um, the soundtrack was original music that I either wrote or co-wrote uh, and performed and recorded. Um, we did a um, uh, and we, we so we did a, a, a music video uh, last year as well that that market scale actually uh helped us produce with did did all the editing we went out and shot it and and uh christina and and john and, and the gang you know edited it up for us and did a full-blown uh, music vi video called building america amazing. Um, a song that i wrote and recorded with a at a professional studio with professional uh studio musicians wow. that the company paid for me to go do and the coolest thing was we recorded that video or we, excuse me, we recorded the song Building America, which you can find on Spotify and Apple Music and all of the platforms under T.Garbs. That's T.G.A.R.B as in boy S, T.Garbs. You can find that song there. But the best part was I recorded it on a Friday. <laughs> so I went, wow, uh, I'm getting paid to play music, <laughs> to record music. So how cool is that? Amazing. And then just just last week, just excuse me, it was on Saturday, not even a week ago, on Saturday, back in the studio, full band, 
had a uh, world-class fiddle player there, bass player, drummer. Um, and we were recording a parody that the octogenarian chairman emeritus of Alberizzi Corporation, John Alberizzi, wrote to the melody of I Saw the Light, a the classic <laughs> uh, uh, Hank Williams Sr. song written in 1948. And the words are a safety message. So if you could, that that's making sense. So we're using the melody of I saw the light, but the words are, hey, be safe and go home safe and so forth. And we recorded it. We recorded it in Spanish as well. One of our superintendents, um, his name is Hubert Moran. He goes by the stage name Armando Chords. You can check him out. He's got quite a profile out there in the Latin pop world, but he's a superintendent for Flintco. He's like a wow. drywall guru. No kidding. Yeah, he can <laughs> sling drywall like hell uh, won't have it. You know, I mean, the guy's incredible. <laughs> and he's a musician and uh, artist. And he came in and sang. I sang the song and, and played guitar and sang it in English. Uh, Armando did it in Spanish. And we're going to use that now as the basis of our safety week which is coming up safety week videos national safety week is may 3rd through the 7th and we're going to use that song uh as our as the foundation for our contribution we're, we're on the steering committee or we're a sponsor of safety week flinko is mm -hmm. and so we're going to produce we're going to blow their mind with this thing because i mean it just it hasn't been done and so we're really excited about that. But the point there is that, again, that was the company, our CEO going, hey, Tim, you think you can record this one? And I'm like, yeah, I think, I think we can. That's going to be a good one. Um, and we're going to do another one that John Alberizzi wrote based on that. It's another parody. It's more of a public service announcement. And it's it's based on these, the Pat Benatar classic, hit me with your best shot. And it's about getting vaccinated when it's your turn. There you go. We're going back in on the 13th of March and we're recording that one too. So that's what I'm like super jazzed about is that I get to bring my passion for music. I call, I, I tell my boss, it's like eating ice cream. I can't believe it. I got my bowl, my bowl of ice cream is so full. I'm almost like I can't hardly eat anymore because it's so awesome. You know? <laughs> oh man, that's exciting. Um, I had no idea, Tim, that you could uh, play the instruments so well, but I, I'm looking forward to looking that up uh, beyond the fence, uh, the story of 44 East Ave. Looking forward to that. Um, you mentioned it being an episodic piece as well. So um, we'll be sure to check that out and uh, include a link here to it as well. So people can check it out. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. And let's let's end it uh, with something special. Uh, we mentioned it at the very beginning, and I like to do this at the end of all of my my shows. Um, I, I'm a big quote person. Uh, I grew up uh, with my father being a big um, uh, believer in yogiisms. Um, there's oh, yeah. a, a jar full of uh, excuses. Uh, pull pull a number, any number will do. Uh, so I'd like to hear your favorite quote, Tim. Um, whether it's you know, something personal or professional, 
you know, what's something that really sticks out to you uh, throughout your your career, throughout your uh, learning moments and um, how it motivates you? Uh, what rings true in a professional setting too? Well, I, I saw, you know, I, I saw that question and, and I, and there's a quote that for some reason it stuck with me and I don't know why, but it sort of does represent what I feel like my career has been um, like. It, it's a, a quote from a song uh, by a, uh, American soul and jazz poet, Gil Scott Heron. He was big in the late 60s and 70s. Um, and uh, he wrote a song called The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. You can might check that out. That's pretty crazy. But uh, anyway, the quote that stuck with me, and I we used to listen to this guy in college back in the 80s. And, he, and here it is. Since change is inevitable, we should direct the change rather than simply continue to go through the change. Wow. Yeah. So. That's my quote. That's, I feel like that is sort of exemplifies what I've sort of experienced, right? Change is coming. It's inevitable. So direct it. Don't just let it direct you, you direct it. So that's, that's it. I love it. That's impactful. That's strong, Tim. Um, I'm going to include that one on my, my list of top quotes. Now um, I'll share that with our team and um, I'm sure someone's got a variation of that, but that's pretty specific there to um, a great artist, which hits home with you as well, being a musician uh, as well. So, gosh, well, we, we hit on so many really good points today. Um, I feel like we really got to learn a little bit more about, about you, Tim, as a leader, um, you uh, going through a career, uh, ditching the business development side, going to the marketing side solely, but understanding the uh, importance of the cohesiveness between the two. Um, the alignment there and the importance of that to to continue pushing a, a company forward and continuing to grow and also bringing the brand to life, being a little different, um, you know, bringing that creativity to the table and allowing yourself, allowing your peers, your colleagues to spread their wings a little bit, not be afraid to try new things. So um, really impactful things today, Tim, really excited uh, to hear how people enjoy uh, your uh, experiences and how it might relate to them. Um, so again, everyone, thank you uh, again, Tim Garbett, Flint Co. Um, looking forward to uh, continuing to tune in to the next episode of the Beyond the Fence series. And of course, the upcoming music that you're creating, Tim, I can't wait to, to hear more of it. So thank you, Tim, for joining today. And to everyone else uh, tuning in to our show, be sure to check out uh, our, our website, marketscale.com, and you can check out um, the series there and the different business leaders we have. We're exploring major learning moments, mentor-mentee relationships, and exploring how business can be uh, be fun, not just uh, from a professional standpoint, but from a personal standpoint as well, and how it shapes careers and how you can learn from that. So, Tim, thanks for joining. Thank you, Brandon. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.